say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rocket's red glare the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there Say does that star-spangled banner yet wave for the land of the free and the home of the brave. You cannot hear those words spoken nor sung without your soul being stirred if you're an American. America is indeed a great nation. This week, as I was preparing for today, I stumbled across something that I thought would be of interest to you. I don't read many things to you, but I thought it'd be of interest to you. It's, it is a column and an editorial written by Gordon Sinclair. Gordon Sinclair is a Canadian commentator on TV. He wrote this, published it, and now it's in the congressional record, and I think we want to hear it today. This Canadian thinks it is time to speak up for the Americans as the most generous and possibly the least appreciated people on all the earth. Germany, Japan, and to a lesser extent, Britain and Italy were lifted out of the debris of war by the Americans who poured billions of dollars and forgave other billions in debts. None of these countries is today paying even the interest on its remaining debts to the United States. When France was in danger of collapsing in 1956, it was the Americans who propped it up, and their reward was to be insulted and swindled on the streets of Paris. I was there, Sinclair said, and I saw it. When earthquakes hit distant cities, it is the United States that hurries in to help. This spring, you can tell this is several years ago, this spring, 59 American communities were flattened by tornadoes, nobody helped. The Marshall Plan and the Truman Plan pumped billions of dollars into discouraged countries. Now newspapers in those countries are writing about the decadent, warmongering Americans. I'd like to see just one of those countries that is gloating over the erosion of the United States dollar build its own airplane. Does any other country in the world have a plane equal to the Boeing Jumbo Jet, the Lockheed TriStar, or the Douglas DC-10? If so, why don't they fly them? Why do all international lines except Russia fly American planes? Why does no other land on earth even consider putting a man or a woman on the moon? You can talk about Japanese technocracy and you get radios. You can talk about German technocracy and you get automobiles. You can talk about American technocracy and you find men on the moon not once but several times and safely home again. You can talk about scandals. And the Americans put theirs right in the store window for everybody to look at. 
Even the draft dodgers are not pursued and hounded. They are here on our streets, and most of them, unless they're breaking Canadian laws, are getting American dollars from Ma and Pa at home to spend here. When the railroads of France, Germany, and India were breaking down through age, it was the Americans who rebuilt them. When the Pennsylvania Railroad and the New York Central went broke, nobody loaned them, even an old caboose. Both are still broke. I can name you 5,000 times when Americans raced to the help of other people in trouble. Can you name me even one time when someone else has raced to the Americans in trouble? I don't think there was an outside help even during the San Francisco earthquake. Our neighbors have faced it alone. And I'm one Canadian who is tired, and he did put an expletive there, who is tired of hearing them get kicked around. They will come out of this thing with their flag high, and when they do, they are entitled to thumb their noses at the lands they, that are gloating over their present troubles. I hope Canada is not one of those. Stand proud, America. Amer yes. America is a great nation. It was founded by some great men on some great principles. But the truth is, today we're facing a crisis like we've never faced. In fact, you and I see our culture literally eroding before our very eyes. That's the very reason that last week the title of the message was One Nation Under with a Blank. And here's the question. Since the U.S. Supreme Court has determined that under God is unconstitutional, will you look at our culture and say, one nation under and fill in the blank? What would you say? What word would you say? Here's the question. As God looks down from heaven at our culture and where it is today, how would he fill in that? Today I want us to look to God's Word and consider the topic, the making of a great nation. If you will, take your Bibles with me and turn to the text you see on the screen, Proverbs chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. If you use your pew Bible, it's going to be on page 544. Proverbs 14. Yeah, it's a mistake. I'm sorry, Miss Dottie. Okay. Fourteen. In fact, there are not 34 chapters in Proverbs. Reminds me of the preacher that said, I want everybody to go home and read the uh, 22nd chapter of John. And so everybody went home, and that night he came back. He said, now, how many of you have read the 22nd chapter of John? And half the people raised their hand. And he said, well, that's funny. There's only 21 chapters in John. Now I'm going to preach on lying, all right? Let's stand together, if you will. To honor the reading of God's Word, we read intently because this is indeed God's holy Word. And it reads, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. A king favors a wise servant, but his anger falls on a disgraceful one. Let's pray together. Father, my prayer today is as we... Consider what it really takes to make a great nation. I pray that today 
that we will glean from your word, your heartbeat for making this a great nation. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've already said America is a great nation, but what made it a great nation? Now, we're not going to exegete our passage today, but there are some thoughts here that I think will help us understand what it takes to make a great nation. The first thing that I would share with you is the desire of a great nation. What is the desire? Now, we're not going to go to other countries. We're not going to look at Japan or Germany or Italy or France. What was it that our founding fathers had in mind when they wrote those original documents? What did they have in mind for us to be a great nation? I'm going to suggest to you three simple things. First of all, they wanted us to be strong. They wanted us to be strong. Now, the Bible says righteousness builds. Righteousness exalts. Righteousness makes strong a nation. Those 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence had in their mind that this nation would be a strong nation. Yes, it would be, not, it would be strong from a defense standpoint, from an army standpoint, from service people standpoint, being able to repel the British, but it didn't stop there. When you read the lives of these 56 men, you know what? They understood that the only way the, strong, the nation would be strong, not just on the battlefield, but in the wheat fields and the corn fields. The only way we would be strong is for the three institutions of God to be working in the land. Now, I'm about to disturb some of you because you think three institutions, you know what they are. But let me walk through them. The home was and is the original institution of God. You see, any time a country is going to be strong, there has to be a home unit that is the foundational linchpin of that society. For you see, in the home, it is where we teach our boys and girls to love God, to learn God's Word, and to live like Jesus. Hello? Now, it is okay to teach our boys and girls to throw balls and to catch balls. It is okay to teach our boys and girls about success. It's okay to teach our boys and girls about business. We should teach that. But when we do so to the neglect of teaching them about the Word of God, we have now weakened the very fabric of our freedom. Our boys and girls today seemingly are ignorant of God's holy Word. Now, the home. Now then, the other two institutions, you're going to say the church and the school, but I don't believe that. The other two ten institutions that I find in God's Word are the church and the government. Every authority, the Scripture tells us, is set up by God. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Read Romans chapter 13 and you'll get the feeling that the government is set up by God. But now listen, the government... And the church. Have you ever thought about what they do? The church exposes the evil. And the government restrains evil. The church deals with the heart. The government deals with the behavior. These two institutions should never work contrary like they're doing today. But they never should be in unison. In fact, one of the things our forefathers wanted us to have was freedom of our exercise of religion, they did not want the government to set up a church and say you had to go. 
We can trace it back as far as Constantine. When the government gets into the church, there's always a mess. But watch this. There was never a thought in our founding fathers' minds that the government would function without the impact and the influence from the church. But the church and the government do not work in unison. They rather work in harmony. Think about that. Today we heard our choir sing. And the beautiful sounds are harmony. You heard, you can hear a quartet sing. And you hear harmony. Just heard a duet. Harmony. You see, when the when the church, home, and the school work in harmony, you find a society that's strong and a country that is great. Their first desire was the country to be strong. The second was that the country to be stable. To be stable. Righteousness exalts. It builds. It literally stabilizes a nation. There is nothing so sad in this world as a country where instability reigns. Where instability rules, evil rules every time. And the thing that, that is frightening me about America today is we are getting unstable. You know why? Because we've left our foundation. You can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And you find uh, Paul writing these words, according to God's grace that was given to me as a skilled master builder. We have some builders here. I have laid a foundation and another build, builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it because no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid. That is Jesus Christ. You see, we are called to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You can go back to the New England Confederation and in those opening words of the New England Confederation, it's written in there, to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. You see, if we're going to be stable, we have to be built on the foundation of our Lord Jesus. And when Satan gets his hands in there, he is going to try to weaken the foundation. You know what that's kind of like? That's kind of like too much water in concrete mix, Teddy. Now, I'm not a builder. If I built something, you wouldn't want to live in it or walk under it. But here's what I'll tell you that I understand. Dale, you can shake or nod or whatever. Is that if you put too little water in concrete mix, it gets brittle. If you put too much, it won't get hard. Am I close to correct? And you see, the truth is we need that firm foundation. These leaders wanted us to be stable. They wanted righteousness to be that foundation, that righteousness of Jesus Christ to be our foundation so that we could stand for time and eternity. And I fear today that the greatness of this nation is beginning to ebb away because the very root foundation is being eroded away. And what is that? I think it's the third dream for our founding fathers for our nation. Wanted us to be strong, wanted us to be stable. And wanted us to be spiritual. Why is it that every national monument without exception bears scripture engraved in stone? It is because our founding fathers knew that this was a unique nation. This was a nation that was going to be founded on religious freedom and the principles of the Bible. You want to know how this nation has become great over the years? 
It has become great because we always looked to the great one. The desire of this nation. Well, that leads to me to the design of the nation. Number two, the design of the nation. Now, when I talk about the design of a nation, I am not talking about whether it's democratic, aristocratic, or whether it's a king or a potentate or an emperor or a pharaoh. That I'm not talking about the government. I'm talking about what comes from the people. What attitude is exuded from the people? What, what, is, what is working in there that righteousness can, can be the order of the day for the nation? And I'll suggest to you three things. First of all, to be thankful. To be thankful. Now, Brother Jerry, what in the world does being thankful have to do with the design of a nation? Well, your nations have literally two options. We can either be thankful or we can be arrogant. And when you're arrogant, you're on the opposite side of the fence from God himself. Proverbs 6 says this. Six things the Lord hates. In fact, seven are detestable to him. And what leads the list? Arrogant eyes. In the New Testament, it says God stiff arms the proud. You see, an arrogant people have about them an expectation that everything's going to be done for them. While a thankful people is truly appreciative for what's done for them. An arrogant people has the attitude that we see so common in America today. What have you done for me lately? And it's getting to where it is not what have you done for me lately? It's what have you done for me today? While a thankful people is so appreciative. You know, across our congregation we have many who came just after or even maybe still some vets who fought in World War II. The people who came through the Great Depression, the people who, who watched the hand of God help us secure victory from the jaws of defeat in World War II. In those aftermath years, appreciation and gratitude for what God had done and for the freedom that we maintain was rampant through our country. And yet today as we become arrogant, we become the expectors. We expect the government to take care of us. We expect other people to take up the slack. You see, if, if a nation is going to be great in the very design, if it's going to be righteous, it's going to have to be thankful. The second thing that I see here is it's going to have to be truthful. Truthful. Now, truth is at a premium today. In fact, it, it saddens me to read the reports from uh, um, Josh McDowell and the like that tell us that even 60, as many as 60% of church-going teenagers and adults do not believe in absolute truth. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that the country seems to be eroding? You know, if we go back to that Proverbs passage, isn't it interesting? Six things the Lord hates, in fact, seven are detestable to him. Leading the way is arrogant eyes. And then it is followed by a lying tongue. But let's get it all in front of us. Seven things are detestable to the Lord. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil. Here's lying again. A lying witness who gives false testimony and 
one who stirs up trouble among the brothers. You see, our Lord values truth because God is not just true love, He is also truth. And if there's going to be a nation, the very makeup of the nation has to be built on truth. If you go to Proverbs chapter 12, you get a little more about what God thinks about truthfulness. Whoever speaks to truth declares what is right, but a false witness speaks deceit. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are His delight. God has called us to be truthful. If there is to be a future for our nation, we have to be truthful. And we even have to be truthful when it hurts. Hello? When it hurts, aren't we more tempted to sweep it under the carpet than deal with it? And it's killing our nation because it's not righteous. And it is righteousness. The righteousness of God being made right before God that builds a nation. To be thankful, but be truthful. The third one that I would say to you, we heard just a minute ago in this design to be thoughtful. This is because we are working out of a heart of not arrogance, but of thankfulness and appreciation that we consider other people. Think about that. Gordon Sinclair just spoke to us about how Americans have been some of the most thoughtless, thoughtful people in the world. They just they go everywhere and they do everything. Sometimes we get frustrated that we do so much. But if you're going to be wrong, shouldn't you be wrong about trying to be too good instead of being too cold? Isn't that what Jesus did? To be thoughtful. Now, when I look back through the desire of the nation and the design of the nation, righteousness exalts the nation, just comes forefront to me. But there is also a, a flip side. And that is the disgrace of a nation. It says sin is a disgrace to any people. We don't like to talk about sin today, do we? That word disgrace means shame. That word disgrace means loss of respect. And the very thing that pulls a country down is sin. Is sin. Did you know Satan wants to pull down this country that was built on God's word? Do you know that he wants it to be the laughing stock of the world? Do you know that he wants to destroy the people in it? Let's talk about sin just a second. Let's begin with the program of sin. Satan has a program to get us off the righteous path and to become a disgrace. <clears throat> but now listen and let me warn you. Satan will not come to you, to me, to our country, to our community, with any big sins to start with. Satan knows your weakness and he knows when you're weakest. And Satan is going to hit you in a place where, <laughs> where you're very susceptible. And it's going to be something little and you think insignificant. Let me, give it, let me use Teddy as an example. Wednesday night, <clears throat> I shared with the church about the, the layout of the Southern Baptist Convention. 
And by the way, this Wednesday night, we'll have some Q&A about the Southern Baptist Convention. And I had spoken as part of that message about some of the diversity. In fact, too diverse for me, if you want to know, sometimes. And I talked about how there are some very liberal churches identified in the Southern Baptist Convention. And Teddy, I just mentioned women pastors, but also some with homosexual pastors. And so after it's over, I had told everybody we'd have questions next week. And, and Teddy gets up from where he normally sits. And he comes down here and he lays his Bible right there. And he goes, Preacher, this won't wait till next week. I said, Okay, Teddy. He said, How do liberal churches get in the Southern Baptist Convention? And I don't have all those answers. I just have a, an opinion from the years that I've been in and around Southern Baptist churches. And this is what I told him. I said, Teddy, I don't think any church sets out to be a liberal church. What happens? They're confronted with an issue. And in their mind, and their human reasoning, it's no big deal. I know what the Bible says, but it's really no big deal. And so they compromise. And they do what human reasoning tells instead of divine revelation. And now the die is cast. And it just moves one step, one step, one step, and what starts off as a toehold becomes a foothold and winds up being a stronghold. And that breeds us into the, to the second part of, of this disgrace in this nation. Sin begins to creep in, and I want you to see the progression of sin. Next, sin never stays where it starts. I want to say that again. Sin never stays where it starts. The old cliche that was made into a gospel song, sin will take you farther than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll make you pay more than you want to pay. Whether it's your heart, whether it's your church, whether it's your community, or whether it's your country, once we begin to slide on the instructions in God's Word, that divine revelation in God's Word, the die is cast, and Satan has us where he can manipulate us. And the truth is, once he begins to pull, it takes the power of God to break his hold. Our Lord is a deliverer, and he will deliver you from whatever sin is keeping you bound today. He will deliver this nation from whatever sin is keeping us bound today. If we will come to him, as Second Chronicles says, if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from the wickedness. And if we don't, this disgrace will lead to the production of sin. Do you know that today sin produces the same thing it did in the first century? The wages, the compensation, the payout for sin is death. When you go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had immortality. And Satan offered them a piece of fruit. Now don't get on them too much because I suggest that today God is offering us abundant life and Satan's offering us a little bit of fruit and we're pigging out on the fruit. And in the Garden of Eden when they sinned, do you remember what happened? 
Get this picture. God put them out of the garden. And then he put an angel with a flaming sword in the garden and wouldn't let them back in because God and sin cannot coexist. When I see that angel with the flaming sword in the garden, you know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of the rich man and Lazarus and how that rich man looked up. And Abraham said, look, there is a barrier because down there is wickedness. Up here is righteousness and one cannot cross. You see, folks, when we choose to sin, when we choose, as Proverbs tells us, those things that are detestable to the Lord, whether it is stirring up trouble among the brethren or whether it is lying or whether it is trying to trying to cause a bad report, or whether it's our eyes, or whether it's our speech, whether we lie or not, it doesn't matter what it is. The result is death. In this country, who would have thought 75 years ago, who would have thought that under God, would have been ruled unconstitutional. Who would have thought 75 years ago that prayer would have been removed from the schools? Who would have thought 75 years ago that homosexuality would have been considered a civil rights? Who would have thought 75 years ago that someone who believed God's word, title page to the map, would be considered intolerant? Who would have thought And yet it began with just one little decision at a time. Let me end with a positive word today. We've seen the desire, the design, and even the disgrace of a nation. Let's end with this thought. The destination of a nation. Where is this country headed Because repetition is the mother of learning, I want to say this to you again. John Jay was a writer of our Constitution, one of the framers. So I will, I will stand on the ground that the writer of our Constitution knows more about constitutional law than does our nine justices. John Jay was the first chief justice of the Supreme Court. And this is what he said. He said, God has given us the privilege of selecting our leaders. It is our duty to put Christians in positions of leadership. You see, folks, every country and every person and every church and every community is on a journey somewhere. They're headed somewhere. You're headed somewhere. I'm headed somewhere. But for our nation, what controls that? Well, I'm going to suggest to you three things and we're done. First one is the choices of the people. That is the choices people make. It says in verse 35, a king favors a wise servant. And you're going, wait a minute, Brother Jerry, we don't have a king. But don't anybody go tell President Obama. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. The truth is, 
What goes on in Washington is a representative of what goes on in the heartland. Hello? And any time the ballot box opens and we choose to vote our bank account instead of the biblical account, or we choose to vote our paycheck (laughs) instead of the prophetic news that we know, or we decide to vote taxes instead of truth, we deserve what we get. This country will go the way that we, the people, tell it to go. It's the way it was designed. This is a great experiment in government. And now we have no one to blame but ourselves. But I want to just say this. The choices that we make in government reflect the choices we have made about God. You see, the Bible tells us that we're sinners by nature and choice. Is there anybody here who is perfect? Preacher asked that one time. said, is there anybody here who's perfect? He asked it three times and a man stood up. And the preacher was taken aback. And he said, so sir, you telling me that you're perfect? He said, "Uh, no sir. He said, "Uh, uh, I'm standing for my wife's first husband. He was perfect. Now, if you didn't get that, you'll get it on the way home, all right? You see, the Bible tells us that we are sinners, but we know we're sinners by nature and choice. And the choice that we make about Jesus coming into our lives, and not just walking an aisle, not just walking through baptistry, not just going to Sunday school, but the choice we make about making Jesus the Lord of our lives sets our destination for time and eternity. Has there ever been a time you made a choice not to join a church, but to allow Jesus to control your thought patterns 